You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Liam, I have a pitch for a fourth Thor movie. For this one, we'll pull a storyline from the comics where Thor faces off against Gore, the God Butcher. That sounds great. Let's get started. Oh, also, the comics where Jane Foster becomes the Mighty Thor. Yeah, sure, we can we can do that too. Oh, and all the times that Thor met Hercules. Maybe like a post-credit thing. Oh, and, and uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy should be there. I I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies as suggested by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. And I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing Thor, colon, love, ampersand, thunder. <laughs> uh, for At least for punctuation fans, there's, there's a lot in this movie's title alone. Uh... <laughs> And speaking of great titles of things, uh, host of the Talking Smack podcast, Smack being superhero movies, animation, comics, uh, we are joined by Josh Scar. Hello, Josh. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining thanks us. Thanks for being on. Yeah. Re- receiving in kind. We, <laughs> uh, Greg and I appeared on your uh, podcast recently, and, and now we're happy to have you here. Yeah, I hope it's not just a reciprocation. Hopefully, I, I did something to kind of impress you, but uh, I mean, I <laughs> yes, no, had a good time on your podcast, and and it worked really nicely. Uh, we were we were planning to do Thor: Love and Thunder this week, and then you're like, yeah, what what uh, we're talking about having you on the podcast? You're like, you know, I'd love to do. Uh, uh, I forget what other Marvel movie you said, but Thor: Love and Thunder. I'm like, well, we're doing that in two weeks, so uh, save the date. Um, so that worked great. Yeah, no, we're very stoked to have you here. Yeah, I, I, that hacking uh, bug that I, I planted in your devices when you came onto my show, that worked out great. So, <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, we're, we're talking uh, superheroes. Uh, uh, Again. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like there's a theme going on here. <laughs> so, question for everybody, just right off the top here. Let's just sticking to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Let's not open it up to all comic books everywhere all the time. Of the MCU characters that exist, who is your favorite superhero? Like, what which franchise overall is your favorite? I got to go Captain America, hands down. I'd have to agree. Captain America's had probably the best run. Between the Avengers movies, between the Avengers movies and his own movies, I think he's had the best arc and the most consistently compelling stories. You know, I am probably going to have to go with, if we're just like, my favorite superhero is the Hulk. I love the Hulk. That's what got me into comics. Um, But just if you're telling me to stay to the MCU, uh, not that the the Hulk movies outside of the MCU are anything to celebrate, um, (laughs) I'd I'd probably say the Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, are my favorite of the MCU movies. Um, Almost more for just that, like, auteur theory, James Gunn, I think, is brilliant. Um, Fair enough. But I, I, as a diehard Hulk fan, I love Thor Ragnarok because it pulled 
all the World War Hulk, uh, or is it Planet Hulk, World War Hulk came after. All the stuff of Hulk being a, on the battle planet is taken from Planet Hulk, uh, and I have all those, like, in issue. I love that series, so maybe Thor. Maybe Thor's my favorite. Uh, and he hangs out with the Guardians, so, you know, maybe maybe I'm a Thor guy. <laughs> Greg is still thinking. Yeah, I, I don't, I honestly don't know. Um, Just, like, looking back on it, like, I... I guess it's probably Captain America. Like Josh said, it is it is kind of like the most solid, consistent series, even though I did not like the first one at all. Um, really? No. The first one is what made me get Captain America as a character. Yeah. I didn't oh, really... I didn't really care for Captain America, and then I saw that movie, and I was like, Captain America might be my favorite superhero now. Like, it clicked because of that movie. Yeah. I I, I don't know. Am I allowed to say, like, all the team-up stuff was my favorite? <laughs> yeah, like, I was trying to figure out how to articulate that. Like, the Avengers movies are, are yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I couldn't say that one because I don't like Age of Ultron. Uh, so. uh, nobody specifically picked Thor as their favorite. Yeah. Uh, or Spider-Man, but I, that's not really that <laughs> germane to the conversation, but I figured Spidey'd get some love. Thor is the um, most consistently inconsistent character in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, also kind of like the most the most fun in a way like his his journey from being a pretty I don't know is it fair to say he was a flat character uh to being a much you know sort of like the lovable comic relief in later on in the series uh was kind of fun to watch and he grew and more just, they, endearing as the series wore on Yeah, they found a voice for him yeah. uh, you know that maybe wasn't there in even Dark World yeah, I like, often compare the MCU to like just a long-running TV series, and that often mm-hmm. happens when you you know season one, the writers are just getting to know the characters and don't really know where they're going with them, and then you know start to hit their stride in seasons two and three, you know, and then by season four we're starting to burn out and and maybe taking the characters' affectations a little bit too far. <laughs> <laughs> The flan- flanderization of the flanderization character. is yeah, you yep. do it. Nice. It's funny <laughs> to think of the flanderization of Wolverine, but uh, <laughs> well, we have yet to see him in Deadpool three. So, yeah. So of course, Thor: Love and Thunder uh, came out last year, directed by Taiko Watiti, uh, written by Taiko Watiti, uh, and Jennifer Caitlin Robinson, uh, based on a prominent god in Germanic paganism. <laughs> Uh, I like that. Netflix. And the comics. And the <laughs> comics. Um, Chris Hemsworth uh, plays the titular Thor. Natalie Portman, uh, Jane Foster slash the Mighty Thor. Christian Bale as Gore, the God Butcher. Tessa Thompson's King Valkyrie. Uh, Taika Waititi uh, is Kor. And Russell Crowe as Zeus. For what it's worth, I will just get this off the... the we'll start at the end. I watched this and then I watched Ted Lasso uh, and I can't, I was like genuinely excited for Hercules to join the MCU because he shows up in a bunch of Hulk comics. Some of the ones I mentioned like world war Hulk. So I was like, yeah, like, but now that I've seen Ted Lasso, I can't take that guy seriously as Hercules. (laughs) I just see him like snickering and calling people twats. Like I, (laughs) I think that's a really great point because uh, when I saw him as Hercules, I had seen, I, I had watched both seasons of Ted Lasso at that point, and uh, seeing Brett Goldstein show up as Hercules, it was kind of like, is this a joke? Or are they just not bringing Hercules back after this, or is this 
an official casting announcement because it, it, it feels like it's a very extreme casting. Like he looks great in the role, but it, it is kind of like you're casting Roy Kent. Are you really going to make Roy Kent Hercules? I mean, it, it could end up being, I suppose, an inspired casting choice. Sometimes the, yeah, you know, the one I always think of is is uh, Michael Keaton as Batman, and uh, no one thought that that would work when when it was initially announced, and and now he's kind of, I mean, arguably a lot of people's favorite. So yeah, you never know how it's going to work. Yeah, out. I think it'll depend on the material he's given. If he can be as, if he has dialogue that plays to some of that like Roy Kent angle. I think he'll do great, but if he's got to play it super straight, like if he's got to try to like keep up with Jonathan Majors, I, it's not going <laughs> to Yeah, And that's a great point too, because we've had castings before Heath Ledger's Joker, the internet blew up with the guy from Brokeback Mountain. No way. And I mean, he won a, a posthumous Oscar for it. And Chris Evans being Captain America, everyone's like the human torch. No way. And yeah. Actually, he was a better Captain America than he was a human torch. Who knew? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess let's over. I like that we started at the literal last part. Um, overall, how do we how do we feel about this movie as it compares to the rest of the MCU? How do we feel about it as it compares to other works by Taika Waititi, other movies? Oh, it's, it's definitely my least favorite Taika Waititi movie. That's that's for sure. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Yeah, it is a hot mess of a film. It is all over the place, and it's trying to do way too much, uh, which is unfortunate because it it has a story it wants to tell, and it it has a theme that kind of runs through it. But there's so much of the movie that's working against it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, d- the theme is consistent. I think that's that's uh, fair. This is my most disappointing MCU movie. Uh, not, I don't think it's necessarily the worst. But it's my most disappointing based on the works that it's inspired from, from the Jason Aaron run of comics. Uh, the the Gore of the God Butcher story is fantastic. The Mighty Thor f- stuff is fantastic. And mashing them together, I don't think does any justice to either storyline. And we see that in the movie. As a, as a Taika Waititi joint, um, my uh, friend of the show, Robin, uh, did say to me the other day a comment I quite like. He's like, I don't know, it's kind of like Wayne's World 2. Like, it's just more of the same. <laughs> And, you know, if you really like Wayne's World 1, you're going to like this. And I was like, okay, like as, as compared only to Thor Ragnarok, I guess this is like that, like, see, you know, not quite as good, but still has the, the heart of it sequel that, you know, so many comedic sequels suffer from. Yeah, I will. I will agree with you on that. And that's an angle that I hadn't really considered. This movie does have a lot of heart and I will, I will give it a solid point for that. Um it's not, again, done very well, <laughs> but it does have a lot of heart. Yeah, yeah I watched I, this I, movie. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No worries. I, I was just going to say, like, because uh, we were talking about uh, it, it being, like, thematically consistent. And in, in a strange way, I think that it's tonally consistent, too, but that's kind of to its detriment. <laughs> because <laughs> because tonally it it stays in that sort of uh you know almost slapsticky Mel Brooks sort of area and and then it and then it tries to also have you know these these deeper underlying uh you know themes as well 
but <laughs> what's interesting about it is it runs over those those deeper themes with like a with like a Mack truck of comedy <laughs> and just like yeah. pushes right through. It's very it's a very strange movie in that sense. There's been a fair criticism that I've heard about many Marvel movies for a while now in that they lean too much on bathos. And I'm going to assume that you all know what bathos is, but just in case our listeners don't, it is the opposite of pathos. <laughs> so pathos is the is the sadness that runs underneath something. Bathos is the opposite of sadness that runs underneath something. And so it's when you have like a really poignant moment but there's a humorous undertone to it, or it gets undercut by a joke. And the Marvel movies have been doing that for a while. And this movie, it's really egregious. It doesn't let virtually any moment land without a ba-dump ching right at the end of it. Yeah. And that's it's it's a crutch that the movie is using because I don't think it has confidence in itself or in its script. And that's really unfortunate because there are some good poignant moments in the film and then a joke happens. (laughs) Like, eh, that was unnecessary. We didn't need that, but fine. Yeah, there there are a lot of little pockets of the the movie that I think really show what they wanted to do. And then they just saw the cut and they had no confidence in it because there's uh, like almost everything with Jane as the mighty Thor, I think is really good. If not like cute, like the moment where she's trying to figure out her one liner with Thor and she's having this little moment with him trying to, you know, get her superhero stuff down. Super cute. Makes sense. Fits with the character. And then there's the moment in the shadow realm where Gore is like going one by one to each person and like you're a Valkyrie. How exciting. And he's like giving a performance and you're like, there's something here but then you cut to the very next scene and it's like, this makes no sense. This is being way too funny. This doesn't fit with what we just saw in this previous performance a, a minutes, seconds ago. And it, it's it yep. like we said earlier, it's just a big mess. Yeah. And shout out to Natalie Portman and uh, Christian Bale in particular, because they both put on great performances in this film. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's. I like that you called them out both specifically because they are two standouts in the film by far. Yeah, this is a. I watched it for the first time since I saw it in theaters last night for a refresher on this, mm-hmm. and I was just like, okay, I, I'm prepared for what this disappointing movie is. Let's try and appreciate something from it. Not like there are things to appreciate in this movie. It's just not the story, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I had a similar similar experience where I I think I liked it slightly better on a second watch. Um, there was a bit of a def- like deflated expectations in the theater. Um, and you're right with the story, which is what I wanted to loop back to about Scott's comment about the thesis through line and Greg's comment about the tone through line. I think where this movie is at its weakest is the like beat for beat plot structure. Like how the events unfold and how they are presented, um, but I th- I think the the themes of the movie are consistent, and for better or for worse, the tone the tone is as well. Like even if that's maybe not always the best choice, that's it. It really is a, a just a a clunky ride, yeah, to get from point A to point B. Yeah. What purpose do Korg and Valkyrie have in this movie? <laughs> because they're not in the third act. They leave after the second act and don't come back until the very end. What purpose do the Guardians of the Galaxy have in this movie? Because they're there 
for the start because Thor had taken off with them at the end of the last time we saw him. And then they're just kind of gone after that. And they're happy to get rid of him. Like, which, which, by the way, undercuts the theme of the movie. The one thing that does undercut the theme of the movie. Well, I'm, I'm going to address know about that. that. I think I'm the, going I th- to address that. <laughs> I, I think the Guardians thing was a great way um, to sort of show, like, what has Thor been up to since the last time we saw him in, in Endgame and Infinity War? Um, there's a thing we do in improv, and then I also I said this once to a friend. I'm like, yeah, there's this 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 thing we do in improv. Uh, where we like how we like lay out the beats of a story, and he goes, "Yeah, we do that in my daycare as well." Uh, <laughs> but for sake, of, I'm going to say it here again. One of this thing we do in improv, where you try to tell it's not like a word at a time story, but it's you go every day, and then someone says something that happens every like three guys record a podcast, and so it's every day, one day, and then and then and then, and because of that, and ever since then, and you just hit those beats to just get a basic storyline. The Guardians serve as that every day. That's fair. Um, that's like, this is what he was, what he's been up to is palling around with these guys, but he's got to go off. He's got to cross the threshold and the threshold is leaving the Guardians. They're they're less egregious than Korg and Valkyrie because they show up for a bit and Sif for that matter. Sif is in the movie, which was exciting. And then she's gone and I was not excited anymore. Um, especially because the last movie did the Warriors three real dirty and Mm -hmm. I'm still a little upset about that. Um, yeah, there's, it's stuff like that. There's a lot crammed into this movie and some of it feels like it was like, well, we have to see what's up with Valkyrie. Okay. But does she need to be a major character in the second act and then just dropped in the third act? Could you have worked her in better? Could you have just made her a cameo? Like there, there are a lot of weird decisions in the film like that. Speaking of cramming things in, just before we hit the the plot summary, I wanted to uh, address the special effects in <laughs> Thor: Love and Thunder. I, like, I think most people agree that the special effects aren't the sharpest in this film, and that's yeah, it's, not <laughs> yeah, like, and it's not it's not, not to denigrate the artists at all. Like, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to say that they were doing a bad job and they were like most likely work to the bone trying to meet whatever unreasonable deadline Marvel had set for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I know like we know now that like visual effects studios suffer from the same kind of like crunch that uh, that the game developer studios have now. So like if anyone's going to point the blame at something for like, you know, sort of mediocre special effects, if you want to call it that, then you should be looking squarely in, in Disney's corner. Well, and it's it's uh, come to light that some of the reasons why some of these like B-tier movies uh, end up with kind of like shoddy special effects throughout is because the special effects teams have been like started working on it and then a portion of the team was pulled off to work on another project. And so you end up with a skeleton crew rushing to finish it yeah. by the deadline. Yeah. Apparently that happened with black Panther. Apparently that happened with Ant-Man and the wasp Quantumania. Oh yeah. Um, having not seen it, uh, I've heard word that they, they pulled some of that special effects team to work on Wakanda forever. Oh uh, really? So yeah. Yeah. So like that, that last, the climax of, uh, of the black first black Panther movie was, was it a no good as far as like it, it seemed like such a drop in quality because you went from a, you know a pretty good 
effects scene with the big war out in the in the sunny side of Wakanda, and then you go into the the rail, the, what I don't know, it was like an underway underground subway of some kind or something like that, and it was just uh, no good, unfortunately. And again, like not the fault of you know, the, I'm sure the the visual effects team was trying their best. I, I think what's unfortunate about this is, and I don't know if maybe you guys are aware of this or not, but like Taika YTT and Tessa Thompson appeared in a, in a vanity fair scene breakdown video in which they took pot shots at the effects, not looking super great. Um, That's not super cool. No, they like specifically, they were like complaining about that Korg didn't look uh, real standing next to Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman, which like, I don't know, even the best visual effects probably can't make Korg look necessarily real. But, like, I can't know what's in their heart. Like, I don't know that there was any sort of malice there. It just wasn't, it's just not a great look. And, I, and there was a little bit of an internet dust-up about it. And and oddly, I, th- I feel like Taika and Tessa were drunk. Like, if you watch that video, <laughs> they do look a little loopy. Um, so maybe that explains why they made, you know, they made a, made a poor decision. Um, this is this is why I've said repeatedly on this podcast as well, practical effects. They look better and they stand the test of time. I recently saw a clip from uh, and a movie that I haven't watched in a while and really should give a rewatch, uh, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, I specifically think The Two Towers, and it was a shot with Gollum in it. And I went, wow, I remember Gollum looking better than that. Um, <laughs> because the digital effects never stand the test of time. And what looked mind blowing back when it was in theaters now looks antiquated and not as good. And it's a shame, but like everywhere you can spend the money on a practical effect, put a guy in a rock suit, just (laughs) do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Dress Taika Waititi up in a rock suit and make him play Korg the right way. I remember like rocket raccoon. You can't avoid, but I remember when uh, fan- the Fantastic Four movies in the mid two thousands were coming out, and Michael Chiklis, uh, they showed images of him in the Thing costume. Like he looks a little ridiculous, and he's too short for Ben Grimm, technically speaking. But to your point, coming back to it almost twenty years later now, he's he looks good in the in the suit. Yeah. The suit looks like rocks, and it stands the test of time. Like yeah, his and lips you know don't that- move, but. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that in the MCU when the Fantastic Four show up, things going to be a digital effect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually think that like one thing that may happen in the future that will sort of like change the way that special effects are done is I feel like a visual artists are going to start realizing that they can dial things back a lot more because one of the biggest problems about visual effects now is that it's really overproduced because they have so much control over everything. Um, you know that that it looks it looks fake because they've they've you know gone through the process of just being like making it better and better and better and better and then it gets to the point where it looks so perfect that it doesn't look real anymore. It dips you know? into the uncanny valley. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I think, uh, or or it's just an efficiency thing. That was something I was reading about Ant Man: Quantumania, where the, some of those I probably the similar thing Scott was reading of people being like, why are we having to animate Scott running? Scott laying, not Scott our friend uh why are you having to animate <laughs> like why couldn't you guys have just shot this like why are we yeah. fixing a guy running across screen in post it's it's costing way too much money it's manpower we don't have like just shoot it normal yeah. just my, shoot a guy running <laughs> minor spoilers for the movie uh there's a scene where cassie shrinks down uh once her suit is revealed and 
she's she starts running once she's shrunk and it looks awful like it, it almost it i think i would rather watch ezra miller run in the, the justice league movies than what they had with that animation like it's so janky you can't see my cringe face but it's there <laughs> um <laughs> Let's go to the plot summary before we, we get more into the nuts and bolts of this, though I, I feel like we're well into the weeds now. There's a maniac who seeks to end us all. I'm putting together the greatest team ever. Are you packed? Yes. We've got Korg. He's my best friend. Yes. There's my ex-girlfriend, Jane. Valkyrie. This is the best day of my life. Guardians. Uh, uh, and giant goats. Oh, look at those. They are wonderful. Yes, they are. They also scream quite a lot. You said this would be a relaxing holiday. I said it was going to be like a relaxing holiday. When last we left Thor, he and his superhero compatriots, the Avengers, had just finished putting the snap to Thanos, the Purple Goblin. Though the biggest threat to the universe was defeated, Thor had lost his family in the process and suffered from crippling PTSD. And so it was that Thor Odinson embarked on an epic adventure with Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy on a quest to pick up the pieces and find himself once more. And boy, would that have made a great movie. Sadly, the Guardians leave at about the 15-minute mark, but... Then this guy, Gore, the God Butcher, starts running around the galaxy killing God after God after God, and boy, would that have made for an epic movie. Sadly, we only see Gore's butchering on a series of small TV screens. But hang on, because Jane Foster is back and she has gained the powers of Thor. The mighty Thor is dying of cancer and is using the power of Mjolnir to live every last moment to the fullest. And boy, would that have made an epic movie. Sadly, Jane's powerful journey is undercut by some truly hilarious himbo antics on the part of her ex-boyfriend Thor. But wait, here comes the power cosmic to... Yeah, you know what? Never mind. I did, I did like the, the speaking of special effects that we were talking about just earlier, that the co- power cosmic effect looked pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, actually. Uh, Eternity looks rad in this film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Props where props is due. Yeah, the, all the all the set pieces look looked slick, um, and, and I think our 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 summary here touches on the main thing that we were talking about before. It there's just maybe too much going on in this movie, um, and I was even surprised to remember it's only two hours. Like Ant Man and the Lost was like two and a half, or Ant Man and Quantumania is like two and a half. Like they, you guys are allowed to take more time. They made it like a four hour one, you know. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, I always think it's merciful when I see. A, when I see two hours of running time, I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I didn't used to care about it so much, but like, I think as I've become a little bit more and more exhausted with the with uh, with superhero films, like, I want it to be over faster. <laughs> I just I just wanted to get it over with. Give me a brisk two hours and call it a day. I don't know. Yeah, I think it- I think for action films, it works better. Personally, I think a lot of the running time here is being like taken up by attempting to jam as many different uh, comic elements into it as, as much as possible. As Josh said earlier, right? Like they're, they're marrying two big comic storylines together and trying to get it out in one movie. 
Uh, but really, like both of those storylines would probably be much better served as their own as their own movie. And as far as I know, I think Chris Hemsworth isn't done with the character of Thor. Like this wasn't his last movie, right? So they could have kept going. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that he has a contract anymore, but he is open to coming back. He is on a hiatus right now because he found out that he has like a a genetic predisposition to part not Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. And so he's like taking Uh-oh. the time to uh like mentally recover from that news and spend time with his family and just kind of put himself in a better state mentally before he comes back to the the grind of having to eat nothing but protein shakes and lift weights all day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I gotta imagine that making these movies for some of these actors is a real grind. Just on the, just on trying to to keep their body up to uh, uh, to the level that they need to be for the big shirt. Yeah, no, I, scene. I I know from personal experience how hard it is to maintain <laughs> like physical perfection. So I can definitely uh, respect the the hustle. As as four movie critics, I think we all know. Yeah, no, we're all hitting the. We're all a bunch of gym rats. We're all in peak physical shape. Uh, I I do seem to recall him also mentioning that if he were to come back and do another Thor movie, he'd like it to not be a comedy. Yeah, I can definitely see why he would want that after two of these movies and just having a weird back and forth of like you have. Avengers and Age of Ultron Thor, who is very stoic and very like almost traditional Thor. And then you have Ragnarok and Love and Thunder sandwiched around Endgame, which those are very totally different characters. And uh, I mean, like as an actor, you probably enjoy having a different take on something, but you also want to find a groove with the character, which Thor has no groove. He's just sliding along the road, just hoping that it, it works. I, I guess maybe the biggest question uh, we should solve before we start trying to rewrite Thor Love and Thunder is which storyline do we most want to jettison? You know, is it <laughs> is it the mighty Thor? Is it Gore the God Butcher? Is it all the kids <laughs> in uh, from uh, definitely the kids. <laughs> Uh, for for me, it really depends on what you want to do with your your synergy with the MCU. I think that if you really wanted to make it work within this multiverse saga that they're doing with this current chapter of the MCU, building through Phase Four, Five, and Six, I think you do the Gore of the God Butcher, and you use the timeline storyline from the comics, where you have a past, present, and future Thor coming together to make. To, to finish the fight against Gore and you make Gore a bigger set piece in the movie than you do focusing on Jane. But that's if you want synergy, if you want a more compelling story, which I think there is room for a compelling story there, but if you want something more poignant and like lower key for Thor, then you do the Jane Foster, mighty Thor storyline. And I have a, a great proposal for anyone who's read the comics. You bring in Christian Bale for this role again, but you recast him as Dario Agar, who is also known as the Minotaur. But basically, Christian Bale gets to act as Patrick Bateman again. But he also turns into a giant Minotaur at some point in the movie. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, he's um, the CEO of the Roxxon Corporation, isn't he? He is. Which has been teased since very early in the MCU, but we've like not literally, really into. Literally episode one, because it's in the background of uh, the big fight at the end of Iron Man. 
It's true. Hmm. Uh, I think there you can have uh, uh, the the Jane storyline and the Gore storyline because, as we said, they are they have thematic parallels that I think serve them both. I think maybe a little better than you guys are giving it credit for off the top. If I cut something, I cut multiple, and we're just getting into my fixes, but whatever, the multiple flashbacks. If you add 10 minutes, 15 minutes to this movie, make it a two, two hour 15, and you cut 10, 15 minutes of flashbacks, then you have time for everything. So there's the entire framing device of Korg reading this story to the kids um, is first of all, kind of lazy writing. Uh, just having this like narrator that shows up in the beginning, the middle, the end, um, which is more than you can say for uh, Ant-Man quantum mania, where he narrates at the beginning of it. And then we never hear a narrator voice again. And then he narrates at the end. Who's he narrating to? <laughs> um, but neither here. We're not doing quantum mania um, yet. I Some think of us you- haven't seen quantum. Mania. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's also not a spoiler. There's a narrator at the end. Um, I think you you can you can afford to not have the recap of like Thor's growing up. He was made for battle, and then all the clips of all the times people died. Uh, cute as it was, you can cut the play with Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. We don't need a recap of um, Thor Ragnarok, uh, and I think you can repurpose it. But even the the recap of rom com Thor and Jane their time together and how things fell apart that we never got to see because Natalie Portman noped out of the whole MCU for a while. So we never got to see the deterioration of their romantic relationship. Um, I must say cut that, but I have a better use for it. But if you cut all those unnecessary flashbacks, you free up like 10 there's to even, minutes. There's even a flashback of Jane remembering her mother dying of cancer. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of superfluous. We don't. We don't need to see that. She is dying of cancer. We. She has that pathos already. We yeah, don't need yeah. to see that past moment. Which that's actually something that. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your your fixes here, but that's something that really bothers me about this movie is that they use Jane's mom dying of cancer as a way to try and prove Jane's worthiness of Mjolnir, but. They also undercut that by telling us that Thor enchanted Mjolnir to protect Jane, which is why she's able to lift Mjolnir now. So yep. they're they're trying to have have it both ways, and it doesn't work for either one. Yeah. Uh, we can just also throw out all the weird X weapon stuff, right? Like that's yes. dumb. Like <laughs> that's real dumb and stupid, dumb. and doesn't need to be in the film, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 one of those ironic bathos things you were talking about where like literally every time Thor we see Thor reconciling with his past relationship, he has to play this like, no, nah, baby, it's cool. It, it ain't like that. I'm not looking at her game with his axe. And it's like I, I want to say one or the other, but not one or the other. Cut that. Stop doing that. Yeah, <laughs> um, stop doing that. It's, it's- it, it on every Every time he thinks about his relationship, that comes in and undercuts it. Yeah, it's it's totally fine as a as a joke, but like when yeah. it gets to the climax and you have Chris Hemsworth like yelling, you know, earnestly at us at an axe, and the axe can't react back to him. It's like it gets real cringy really fast. I the one beat of that entire storyline that I liked is when Thor picks up Mjolnir when he's talking to Jane for the first time, just to make sure he's still worthy. That is nice. I like that. Other than that, throw it all away. Mm -hmm. Also, this brings me to the big plot hole in the movie. 
What can Thor do, famously, with his enchanted weapon? Grab it he can, from a distance. He can summon it to his hand. <laughs> and yet, Stormbreaker is apparently the key that opens up the way to eternity. And Gore needs it. So Gore takes it from Thor. And the movie forgets that Thor can just summon it back to his hand. From anywhere in the universe, he can just make it come to him. And Stormbreaker is attached to the Bifrost, so it could just portal itself to him from anywhere in the universe. The movie just conveniently forgets about that. And the entire third act falls apart. Uh, that, that needs fixed. Spoiler alert, one of my big fixes is about that. They're ha- what, what but they're having relationship jump? problems. How can Stormbreaker's not gonna yeah. call, it's not gonna pick up the phone when you're trying to call when you're having a fight? <laughs> yeah, instead it's gonna just agree to end all the lives of every god in the universe. They were on also, a break, okay. How was how was <laughs> Zeus mentions that uh that the this temple, this shrine has existed forever. How is it that Stormbreaker is the key to the shrine that existed forever when Stormbreaker is Bi- six years old? Bi- yeah, Bifrost is the key. Still. Bifrost is the key. I don't think Bifrost needs to be. I don't think there needs to be a no. key. Spoiler alert. Sure. There's no but key in my face. You were getting real real pedantic. I'm like, technically, I, I, Stormbreaker <laughs> specifically is not the key. It's the access to the Bifrost. Yeah, and, and that's part Either of my way. fix that I'm suggesting as well, is you get rid of the Bifrost thing because that's not necessary. No. Uh, let's get into fixes. Let's let's start crack because also not only do we obviously have lots of thoughts, we got tons of listener comments as well. So yeah, uh, let's go to go to fixes. Here from our friends at the Alberta Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul, and we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to Edmonton Public Schools Open House. Meet the staff and ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs. Explore your options and find the school that feels right. Find event dates and learn how to make the most out of your visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before you go and feel confident and excited when you get there. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. Fellas, let's fix Thor Love and Thunder. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to dive right in because Scott's I was already so kind of building to up to going. my fix. <laughs> well, and, and I was kind of tiptoeing up to it uh, before we hit the break. So the main thing I want to get rid of is the Bifrost is the key. I don't think there needs to be a key to eternity. I don't think that Stormbreaker needs to be the key because, again... Thor can just call it to himself. So there, there's no reason Gore should be able to get it. I think, rather, the way to eternity is hidden. It is the greatest secret in the universe. No one knows where it is, except if you have the ability to see all things. Heimdall could see the way to eternity. Ergo, Heimdall's son can see the way to eternity. He's the thing that Gore needs. If you want to keep the children in, 
Gore steals the Asgardian children because he knows one of them has Heimdall's power, but he doesn't know which. And that's the clock. The clock on the movie is that Gore doesn't know which kid he needs to open that gate. And that's why there's urgency for them to go and find the kids fast. Other than the kids just being in danger. And the kids, I think, show some bravery throughout the movie trying to hide the fact that it's Axel who has Heimdall's power until Gore legitimately threatens to kill a child, which is a a big thing for Gore because Gore went on this path of revenge because of the death of a child. I think that that's an interesting character beat for him. Mm -hmm. And then Axel steps up and is like, it's me, it's me. Don't hurt anybody. Um, And that I think solves the whole plot hole right there. I I like that too, because if he's got a, if he's like, I need you kids to tell me which one it is because I can't kill you. I'm not going to kill kids. That's my whole deal until finally they push him to his limit and show he's truly corrupted by being like, okay, well you forced my, I guess I'm gonna have to start killing kids. Um, Yeah. And go against like my, his own, his own origin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have one other thing uh, as well that I'm going to throw out there while I'm kind of on a roll. Mm -hmm. The theme of this movie is partly about how Thor is not alone. It's about Thor finding love again because he's lost everything except for kind of Korg and a little bit Valkyrie. He feels like he has nobody left at the beginning of the movie. That's why he's clinging to the Guardians so much. And the Guardians kind of push him away with a, you know, dude, you need to go and find your people. Like, this is, the, this is the journey you need to take. And I think that all along the way, he starts finding out that he does have people in his life who do care about him and who have his back. And I think that that should come into the final chapter, too, uh, because he kind of goes it alone at the end. And I get it that they want to give Jane the big damn heroes moment, but I think there should be a bigger big damn heroes moment. I think when he goes to confront Gore and save the kids in the final act, Valkyrie and Korg and Sif all go with him, despite the fact that all three of them are injured. It doesn't matter. He's like, you're all hurt. You should not come. And they're like, no, you're not going in this alone. Like, yeah, we're injured, but we need to save these kids. And it's, it's this real touching moment where it's like these three people who are willing to put their lives in jeopardy to help him. And he, it gives him a moment to reflect on the fact that he does still kind of have found family. And then when things get dire, fighting against legions of shadow monsters, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy show back up. <laughs> and they, and I'm legitimately, they show up in the third act and it's like, hey, dude, like, of course we're going to come and help you. Yeah, we were kind of sick of you living on the ship, but you're still our friend. More more opportunity to, for Thor to realize that he still has people in his life. Shadow monsters are now being kind of dealt with. Hold on, almost there. <laughs> Thor goes to fight gore and has trouble and that's where jane pops in and like takes the power of mjolnir one last time to go and help him so you still get her big damn hero moment because thor needed help against gore because the necro sword is just too much and he's specifically vulnerable to it because he's a god um but he's got an army that isn't a bunch of kids shooting lightning out of their eyes um, (laughs) to help him fight shadow monsters in the end. Even though the gods weren't willing to show up as an army, he has friends and loved ones who are willing to show up as an army. And I think that's thematically consistent. So that would be my thing. Uh, 
I will. <laughs> having said all that, Josh raised his hand frantically halfway <laughs> through this to stop me. So please, well, jump I, in. I wasn't trying to stop you. I just I wanted to just say I I really like the idea of Sif showing up after she's had her ar- lost her arm in battle because you asked earlier what is the point of Korg and Valkyrie being there? That's LGBTQ representation. Uh, so yeah. what does Sif coming to the battle represent? That represents amputee and people with disability representation, something which sure. we do not see a lot of anyway. So I love that, honestly. I think that's yeah. a, that's a great it, idea. It keeps Sif in the movie. And they the, all three of them are injured, but they're still like, you're not going on. You're not going alone. Korg is a face. He's still going to show up because Thor's his bro. Like, I, I think that that fits thematically with the story that they're trying to tell of Thor recognizing that he still has love and that he still has people who care about him, even though his family and his home have been destroyed. Um, That's sweet. I would yeah. love to, to piggyback on one of my fixes. I want to rip riff on what you said about Korg, Sif, Valkyrie showing up and sort of the, and the, and the guardian showing up. And then the last person who loves Thor shows up as Jane gives her the big hero moment. Yep. Then I want to see when the guardians and the, the other three, Thor adjacent character show up is on that black and white planet. Um, Jane's not there. That, that fight, that set piece has the guardians and Korg and, um, Valkyrie and and Valkyrie, uh, and then save the, that final leg of the fight for the last person who needs to come and show, show Thor that he is loved. The structure of that particular set, cool as it is, that whole scene is sick as hell. I love the the Mario um, galaxy sized planet, <laughs> um, but there's a specific thing I want to fix in that scene where they drop the whole they 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 run back home to lick their wounds because Valkyrie is hurt. Valkyrie specifically said, I am a warrior. I want to die on the battlefield. Why does everyone fall all over themselves when she gets hurt and goes, Valkyrie's down. We got to go back. That's her whole steez is dying on the battlefield. Why would yeah. the last thing you would do would be to like boohoo about it. This, so, yeah. This ties into something that I didn't mention before, but kind of stuck with me a little bit. What is Valkyrie's story in this movie? Because she says she's happy being king of Asgard, but her actions don't match what's coming out of her mouth. It really feels like she's not happy being the king of Asgard and that she's looking for an excuse to get back out on the battlefield. And the fact that she's willing to die in battle kind of underlies the idea that maybe she's not so happy having Meek as her secretary. <laughs> um, so yes, I, Josh. I have the real world answer to that. And that is a, a cut storyline where Valkyrie is on this journey with everyone to stop Gore, but she also wants to find herself a queen, which is why she uh, has that little moment with Zeus's floozies uh, in omnipotent city. Um, but that entire storyline got cut. Cause it's like, they're, I guess they're more interested in mopey, lovelorn Valkyrie than they are in making her happy. I don't know. Uh, but when they announced that they were going to be adapting the Mighty Thor storyline and they brought Natalie Portman out, gave her Mjolnir, uh, before they did all that, they had Tessa Thompson on stage at San Diego Comic-Con talking about how she's going to be a great king. She's going to be amazing, but she needs to find her queen. And like that got a big roar because obviously, again, rep- representation matters. And yep. it apparently didn't matter enough to stay in the story. To keep Got it in the movie. Too many jokes to tell. <laughs> there were too many jokes to tell. You're absolutely right. 
Yeah. yeah so either keep that storyline in the movie or I think go with what Liam has and just ma- lean into the idea that she's maybe kind of looking for a glorious out. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe she finds love on the way. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, maybe she's like, Zeus's I'll never, Zeus's. maybe she's like, I'll never find my queen. I'll never find love. Might as well go do the next best thing I know, which is die on the battlefield. And then somewhere along the way finds love. Uh, it's reinforcing be- some of the Oh, well, I kind of like it's that because, because then Meek- it, it mirrors uh, Thor's arc as well. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Very much so. And maybe love was right there with her all along because Meek is giving her really <laughs> soft insect eyes the whole time. <laughs> um, I, I would love to hear from uh, our, our guest here, but I, I'm going to reiterate something I said off the top because it is just a short note I have. I think you can cut all of the flashbacks and the general narrative framing device of Korg telling the story, I think does more harm than good. Mm-hmm. You should start them. I mean, I was going to say start the movie with the Guardians. Start the movie with Gore and his god. That's it. That seems great. Um, but the first time we see Thor, he's just already in the shit with the Guardians. Like, it's maybe he's even sitting under that tree all zen, and then Peter Quill comes up and is like, hey, we need your help to win this battle. And that's where that's where we see Thor first, not this, like, he was a baby, and then he learned to fight, and then he was did a did an end game, and then he, you know, just start no one, We didn't need it. So. No one's going to ask, why isn't he still fat? Yeah. When he takes off his shirt and reveals that he's ripped again. People will just buy that he got back in shape. It's fine. Yeah. Uh Josh, what do you what do you got for fixes? Uh so I'm going back to page one. I do like the the introduction to Gore with the flashback or whatever you would want to call it. I don't know if it's necessarily a flashback, but I would set yeah, it it's just his origin. Yeah, I would I would set it thousands of years into the past, though, because one of the things in the comics that makes Gore so menacing is that he has been at this for millennia. So I would set this back 10,000 years. We know that Thor is like 1500 years old. So make, make Gore having do this for a while, having been doing this for a while, he's a boogeyman to the gods. Cause in the, the movie, it really feels like the necro sword is kind of the boogeyman to the gods, but not really mm-hmm. like Zeus has no mm-hmm. fear of it. He's like, Oh yeah, it's a weapon that can kill us. But we're here. It's fine. We're we're gonna survive. He's killed a couple of low level Z tier gods, but we'll we'll live on. Nothing nothing to fear. Um, so I think you need to establish. Gore's been at this a while. He's he's built a reputation as a boogeyman. You also need to establish why gods are important, because one thing this movie fails to do is tell us why him killing the gods are bad when the only good god we encounter is Thor. Everyone else is just this cocky little bastard that doesn't yeah. care about their minions any or their their worshippers anymore. So why why is getting rid of all the gods a big deal? Maybe they have environmental impacts. Maybe they have uh, literal life impacts. So who just makes something up that makes them cocky and just kind of lose perspective on things. Uh, so I think that's one thing. And then uh, as we mentioned before. Um, getting rid of Bifrost as a key to eternity. I really like Scott's fix where you make uh, Axel the, uh, the key to eternity where he can find the path. You get rid of all of the um, relationship quote unquote drama with the, the weapons. But yeah, the, the main thing I want to go back to is establishing gore as a threat 
because I think mm-hmm. that's one thing the movie really fails to do is make him truly menacing. Like Christian Bale gives a I performance. Would, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would be happy to see 10 more minutes in this movie if it was 10 more minutes of gore killing gods. Yep. Yeah. And I like that it, maybe it happens before Thor's even born. We're seeing him do this stuff. Um, especially if it plays into like a myth thing, it's like, well, what kind of myths do the gods have? Like, <laughs> what kind of what kind of oral storytelling boogeymen do gods per- perpetuate? Yeah, um, that's sick. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you have a couple scenes where he's he's killing gods, you can have him kill a benevolent god um, to show that there are gods, gods out there movie. that. Um, that matter to people and do good things, and that and that's why killing all of them is is bad. It's an excellent point, Josh, and like uh, I'm glad you brought it up because I hadn't even I haven't even thought about it, but it was something that was bugging my brain, but it didn't like it didn't come to my forehead <laughs> until you said it. So I'm glad that you brought it up. Do you know whose benevolent god they kill? The blue guys who are all butthurt about their temple at the beginning. He makes a big deal. He's like, this is an ancient sacred temple. I sure hope someone doesn't destroy it. And then Thor destroys it and ha ha ha. But it's like, what if what if it wasn't those weird little Muppet guys trying to take this place down? It was the, you know, gores either pre or post minions that the guardians are helping him fight and these blue guys are like we love our god he this temple this temple is a shrine to him we this is what he gives us so yeah if you want to if you want to see people who have a benevolent god that means something to them use those blue guys at the beginning they do in fact they do in fact drop the fact that their god had died so I feel like there is there is like a little seed of that there and they just didn't go far enough yeah because to me, that that read as as them alluding to the fact that somebody's out there killing gods. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe they should have been fighting shadow monsters. Yeah, and then you could even have the guys look great. They do, <laughs> they do. <laughs> but you could if they're fighting shadow monsters, then uh, Thor could literally be like, "Your god died, and there's shadow monsters here." That's reminding me of something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it would definitely in. tighten things up a little bit if if that opening bit actually tied directly into the into the gore stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and it gives you an, an excuse to have Thor leave the Guardians. That's not just like, now he has goats. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a couple more, but Greg, do you, have, do you have any any fixes? You know, oddly, I don't. Um, I've been just like, <laughs> I've just been happily just listening to all of you go through it. Like, I've been, I've been thinking about this movie for two straight days and like, yeah, I've got lots of issues with it, but like I don't necessarily know exactly what I would want to change. Outside of the fact that like I wonder if there's maybe a way to marry Mighty Thor's storyline with Valkyrie's storyline a little bit more. Because they are in, essentially in the same place throughout most of the movie and they're, you know, they they have an obvious connection because she's helping to protect New Asgard, right? I don't know. There, it just it just seems like those two characters could have uh, have more to do with one another. But that's that's really about as far as I got. I didn't really have an Kay. idea of how that might work. Wild, irresponsible suggestion. <laughs> Hooray! I love it. Valkyrie <laughs> Valkyrie starts out hitting on Jane because Jane's Thor's ex and Thor's awesome, and she's got the power of Thor. Valkyrie's into that, uh, and then Jane starts to like 
the the flame between Jane and Thor starts to rekindle. Valkyrie realizes she's on the outside. And then who comes in? Darcy. Valkyrie ends up with Darcy. Boom. <laughs> Stupid I, idea stretch, right off the top it, of my head. <laughs> bit of a stretch, but I my it tails nicely into my fix. <laughs> I have a fix that does get us more Darcy. Um, I'm, I'm in fairness before you, before you suggest yeah. that I don't mind that Darcy and Eric had, uh, cameos in the movie and that it was just, cameos. Oh, yeah. I'm okay with that, but I'm always here for the possibility of more Darcy. So please hit me. Yes. <laughs> so I had said this off the top. You, you, you cut Korg being the narrator, uh, so that you, you lose the, um, Avenger recap, you lose the play thing. Um, the only, but I do kind of like the rom-com Thor uh, Jane stuff where they kind of like, hey, here's what we didn't get to see because Natalie Portman left. But instead of having Korg read that like a cute story, like a trailer to a rom-com, what you do is after they bump into each other in New Asgard and they're like, damn, that was my ex. Damn, that was my ex. We're both Thors now. Whatever. Um, you You have a fun game of bouncing between the two of them, explaining to a friend what happened between them. And so you get Thor's side of the story uh, being told to Korg, Korg Valkyrie, probably, yeah. doesn't matter. And you get Jane telling it to Darcy. Darcy. And that's just another way you can... Ha- it, it'd be, it would be a funny scene. It would be a funny chunk of dialogue. But it, it would be a way to be funny while still having Thor not be such a himbo idiot because you're just seeing things from his perspective and then, and, and juxtaposing it with seeing things from Jane's perspective. And it would be the, the, the juxtaposition would be what's funny, not the like, he, he dumb, he don't get it. Um, one thing I would say is with the, the time cutting of the, the flashbacks narrations and everything is um, one thing I forgot to mention is that we need to also establish what makes Jane worthy to lift this broken Mjolnir Mm -hmm. because the, the movie, as we mentioned before, Thor enchants it says, Hey, always protect your buddy because now you're sentient, even though we've never established that before. Um, And then like we, they try to kind of be like, Oh, she is worthy because her mom told her to fight and keep going. Even though she was not, her mom was dying and she, she got through it and became an astrophysicist. So we, we need to establish something like in the comics, what makes Jane worthy is the fact that uh, in the comics, Thor becomes unworthy and he's not able to really be Thor anymore. So you don't necessarily have to do that sort of thing, but she doesn't want to play the the space Viking card as Darcy suggests, because what, what I get from what the movie shows us is that she's trying to figure out how to cure this thing through science which, okay, that's great. She's trying to be self-sufficient. But when Darcy says, hey, Space Viking card, you can always play that card. She's like, hmm, maybe. Which to me doesn't, that that comes off as extraordinarily selfish. Whereas she's looking for a fix for her problem. But in the comics, she's looking, she's accepting of her fate. If, if the man-made science works, great. If it doesn't, I accept it. And that's what makes her worthy is that she is willing to accept her fate. So in this, you need to figure out how to make her get that point across that she's accepting of her fate and not that she's trying to pull every card that she can just to survive. I like that. Yeah. Cause yeah, by, by rearranging my little rom-com thing, maybe you don't get that moment where he enchants. Yeah. And it, it is more genuine. It's just more genuine why she's worthy on the subject of Jane being worthy. 
and this is something I like about the movie. After the initial surprise wears off that Jane is now the mighty Thor, Thor is 100% on board with it. He just is like, yeah, you're a Thor now. Awesome. Like, that is that is very good of the movie to do that. <laughs> For him to just be like, now that I know who you are, I'm cool with this. And just like roll with it and it like be very supportive of her superheroing. Um, I think that that is good because it would have been very easy for this movie to have him have a problem with it. And they didn't do that. And kudos, the movie yeah. did that right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he, that's not what he's jealous of. Yeah. No. I, I thought of something <laughs> that, <laughs> that I think might be an interesting uh a course correction uh, and this actually comes courtesy uh, of a, uh, a conversation i had with some co-workers about the movie but they uh, someone had suggested that um the reason that the movie is silly is because it's being narrated uh by korg right and he's just not telling the story right and i think like if you if you made that <laughs> more explicit that he's kind of like an unreliable narrator that could have been really fun because then you that like you could you could excuse like the really crazy s- silliness uh, but still have all these more poignant dramatic points as well so yeah like so that w- i think that would actually be really really interesting to, to try and pull off is that sort of juxtaposition of sort of like a a, a goofy guy narrating a very serious story and i th- i think that's yeah. that's something you could do to make um, ha- put a uh, a laugh at the end of a moment too, because Marvel loves to do that. So like, you can have that moment where uh, Thor realizes that Jane is the mighty Thor and all this, and he's he's processing through it. And you can have Go- uh, Korg show up and just be like, and then he realized that his best friend was standing next to him and pondering the meaning of what it meant that his relationship might be rekindled through a new Thor and like just something ridiculous that he's just narrating the most nonsensical parts of Thor's life, even though he's, he's trying to process something serious that's happening to him. And then you don't have to have the goats screaming nine times throughout the movie. (laughs) Hot take. The first time I watched this movie, I uh, I laughed at all of those. <laughs> oh, I did too. Time. It made me giggle. <laughs> yeah, it's a that that that's a fun. You know what? It's, it's not quippy. It's an actual like funny. It's funny in the world. It's not a little quippy, sardonic, jokey joke. I'll keep it's, the screaming goats over yep. the weird X weapon stuff. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I have one here that I I just I have to get off my chest. Um, I, the first time I watched it and the second time, I was very annoyed by the use of the following terms, bad guys, classic Thor adventure and catchphrase. And what's my catchphrase? It's too self-aware and meta. I normally lap that shit up. I, I like when people address the tropes of the thing they're in. I'm a big Venture Brothers fan. I'm a big Deadpool fan. I'm a, up until very recently. I'm a, I'm embarrassed to say I'm a big Rick and Morty fan. Um, you know the idea. Like one of there's a recent episode of Rick and Morty where they talk about doing a Die Hard. This is great. It works really well for Rick and Morty. Um, it does not work here. It it's you're not She Hulk. You're not Deadpool. Please don't do that. Don't say classic Thor adventure. It completely undermines 
everything that we're trying to do here. Um, and so same with like when she's like, it's my first bad guy. And it's like, you guy like, I just, that, that stuff makes me cringe so hard I, when I, used improperly. That didn't bother me as much because I, I viewed it as a coping mechanism from Thor through his depression, but it was undercut through all the humor of it because it's played for a punchline. It's not played for a coping mechanism. And I did find the mm, Jane yeah. stuff huge. Like it's, it's a relationship moment where uh, like you're, you and your partner are going to your first comic con together and they're excited. You're like, Oh, it's my first con. You know, it, mm. it, to me, I, I took it that way. I didn't think that was as egregious as other things, but I, I, I do get your point. Yeah. yeah. One more thing I just want to float past folks before we jump into listener comments. I don't know if this is an actual fix, but what if Chris Hemsworth Thor was not in this movie or only shows up at the end and it is just about the mighty Thor defending the children of New Asgard and the people of New Asgard from this Gore the God Butcher guy who's trying to goad the 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 OG Thor out and she's like no I'm the Thor you're dealing with pal is there anything to that I that, yeah, I, I actually it's an interesting it. take uh, I wasn't yeah. sure how like deep we were gonna dive into these rewrites and I that's actually one of my rewrites is you you just cut Thor out of it you either Professor X him or you make him the Deus Ex Machina you make him what Scott made the Guardians and in, in his fix where. Jane goes, even though she's on her, her last legs and then Thor shows up to kind of give a hand, but Jane's the one that throws the final blow and, uh, it saves the day, but Ooh. you make it a, a oh, Jane Foster you, Thor you, you, adventure. You know what? Um, I watched the, uh, teaser trailer to this movie before, uh, just before we started recording and it kind of gives you the impression that. Um, like one of the lines is like my superhero days are over and he's got that that nice shot of like putting his axe in the ground and uh, and, and I really like that when he took the the axe out it had grown roots and like to suggest mm-hmm. that he hadn't been a superhero for a while although like in the context of the movie it just seems like he had just put it down and and it just came right <laughs> out um yeah. but I like boy it would be really easy to uh, to sort of uh, sideline Thor is just like, yeah, like he's dealing with all that stuff. He's dealing with having PTSD and, and, and the trauma and stuff like that. And he does get sidelined. He takes himself out because he doesn't want to be part of it enough. He's, he's fought enough battles and he's done with it. And that opens up the opportunity for the mighty Thor to take up the mantle and, and do the things that, that, uh, that he's not doing. Um, you know, and then, you know, they could, it could be one of those, like one of those type of arcs where he has to be convinced to rejoin the fight and, and that it's, it's Jane. That's the one that, that brings him back into it. it you know, she could kind of be, she can kind of hide the fact that she has, has cancer right up until the third act, which would, you know, that reveal puts us at our lowest point kind of thing. And that is sort of the turning point where, Thor realizes that there's, you know, you know, he has tons of people that he, that he still cares about and stuff like that and that he still wants to fight for and then you go into the climax. That is an entirely different movie, but a cool movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and it th- 
the counterpoint is that it doesn't give Thor the opportunity to heal the same way. And that's kind of what this movie is about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which uh, does relegate Jane to kind of an accessory, unfortunately. She's yeah, certainly worthy of having her own movie. My other counterpoint is, and this is something that I think this movie was brave to do. She dies at the end of this movie. And it would have been real easy for this movie to save her life. Uh because superheroes and they were literally at a wishing well at the end of the movie, but she dies. She sacrifices herself in this film to be a hero. And if she's our protagonist all the way through until the third act where Thor shows up to help her and then she dies, that's kind of weird because then we're picking up with Thor after or Thor Odin's son specifically, as opposed to the mighty Thor. That's the only structural issue I have with, with your suggestion. I just, the only reason I brought it up was because like so much of our listener comments and our comments were like, one of these storylines needs to get axed. And I was like, (laughs) okay, well, if they're all on the table, what does it look like if we cut Thor out of it? So yeah, um, it it makes for an interesting idea. It's absolutely a great idea. It's a very different movie. One thing that comes to mind with that idea, continuing the idea of like what makes the gods important is if Thor is just kind of like, I'm done, I'm, I'm too tired, I've lost too many people, that could be what kind of triggers Mjolnir to call Jane, is that it realizes that Thor, if, if you want to stick with like the sentience idea, even to like a modicum of the idea, um, that could be what has Mjolnir call Jane, and that's what triggers her transformation into Thor. And then at the end of the movie, that's your, your arc is that Thor realizes that he basically became what Gore hated and he needs to be better because even though he is, he has feelings, he is still a God that needs to take care of his planet in the way yeah, that he does. He, he yeah. becomes a neglectful God, uh, kind of by yeah. accident. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, man, I, that's good. Yeah. I like um, I I like the idea of like we were saying uh, much earlier, Josh, about um, the God Butcher being much older and like and that he's been at it for a very long time because that gives us the opportunity to to have you know if you want the sword to be the corrupting influence that gives the the opportunity to have like Gore really lose his way and like totally succumb to to the sword's will to just destroy. Uh, gods at all cost, regardless of the fact that like he's maybe destroying innocent lives in the process, right? And maybe That's... maybe there's maybe there's a way to sort of to uh, uh, mirror that in Jane's arc, where the sort of like quote unquote corrupting influence of Mjolnir leads her to not accept her fate and just to like to keep pushing, th- you know pushing through not dealing with the cancer and stuff like that, which is kind of sort of like what the movie's doing, but like being more of an explicit theme of just like being sort of in denial about, you know, where you're, where you are at in your life and what you need. And she can project that onto trying to get this God butcher guy. Cause it's like, well, if there's a guy out there butchering gods, Thor is terminal. Mm-hmm. Like he'll come, he'll eventually come for Thor. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the, uh, the idea of really highlighting how, the Necrosword is the villain, not necessarily Gore himself. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why one of my suggestions earlier on was for him to get to the point where he actually threatens one of the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the sword is egging him on. Like, you need to get this power so that you can get to eternity. And, 
like it gets to the point where he's actually undermining his own motives. He's undermining his own heart. And he's now become the very thing that he hated to begin with because the Necrosword is that corruptive and that powerful. Yeah. And I, I like that really uh, a lot because one thing the movie tries to do that I think it it doesn't dig deep enough into is that uh, in the Shadow Realm, Gore, in the one scene that he and Jane have together, he says, oh, you're like me. You, you're you on a path of death. You're going to die the minute you let this weapon down or the minute this weapon is destroyed. And the movie doesn't do enough with that. They're trying to create a parallel between like Jane has a weapon that's designed for good. He has a design, a weapon that's designed for evil. They're still going to both die, but that's kind of it. There's nothing deeper into it. So I think that's that's something that, uh, again, these fixes could really really have a, a, an impactful uh, benefit to the movie. And I think that one thing that they could take from the comics, not to c- continue to dive into that because that was a like five-year run in the comics, so it, 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 you can't really shove that into a two-hour movie. Um, but one thing that, again, continues to make Jane worthy is that when she has Mjolnir, she's fine. When she's the mighty Thor, she's fine, but she chooses to give up her godliness so she can be mortal and she can continue to fight despite the fact that when she is the mighty Thor, part of the benefit, quote unquote, of being the mighty Thor is that it purges all of the the bad things from her body, including her chemotherapy. So she's basically starting back from square one when she goes back into being Jane Foster. And I think that's something you could try and work into the movie somehow, despite it being a more long form narrative. I think we could be at this all night. Yeah, <laughs> so no, we better get into <laughs> listener comments. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we've we found a couple a couple good versions of this. I don't think we landed on a cohesive one, but there's a couple ways to go with it stronger than than what's here. Uh, and I think our listeners had similar thoughts. Thank you, everyone uh, who commented. We love it when you contribute. Your perspectives are always welcome. Let's get into them. Mame Baguma Dain. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If it's uh, your name, I, I, I hope I pronounced it correctly. And if not, I apologize. If it's like a made-up Twitter name, then sure, it's that's what it is. Then it's some letters. Um, <laughs> if it's, but if it's your birth name, I really hope I uh, pronounced it correctly. And thank you for your comment. Says, more Guns and Roses. Non-stop GNR from start to finish. Uh, how do you guys feel about Guns N' Roses? Because I don't care about classic rock. I'm a little <laughs> beta soy folk rock loser. <laughs> I I, just gun, Guns N' Roses and most classic rock just makes me cringe. You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking that, like how the hair metal type music in this movie really had nothing to do with anything else. Yeah. Um, it's not like in where Guardians of the Galaxy where the where the soundtrack plays you know somewhat of a role in the in in the movie it's yeah so i guess i guess it's nice a nice thing to hang your aesthetic on but i just didn't really feel like it was adding anything cohesive to the rest of the movie iron maiden evokes norse mythology guns and roses evokes <laughs> cocaine on the sunset strip <laughs> yeah. like it's well not- and in thor ragnarok it's it plays a role in the story because it plays at the beginning when he's being Thor and he's got his confidence and he's fighting Surtur and he's kicking ass. And then it stops when he, when Mjolnir gets broken and he loses his confidence and he ends up imprisoned. And when does it come back? When he strikes Hela with lightning Mm -hmm. 
that he called down himself and he gets his confidence back and he becomes Thor again. And that's when the Iron Maiden kicks back in. It yeah. it thematically works with the film. And in this movie, it's just kind of there, it yeah. feels like. G- GNR is not the kind of metal that evokes Norse mythology. And it, it was much more for the trailer. Yeah. It was much more for the same reason there's Beastie Boys in the Star Trek movies. It's just like, yeah. hey, I recognize that. Yeah. 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 Robin from Cinematological says, pick a tone and do that. Use other tones as a garnish, not a second course. Yeah, we discussed that. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do love that phrasing of it, though. It's great. Lord Reverend D says, tone down the jokes. Thor can have a fun side, but he needs to have a serious side, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think they found the perfect balance of that in Avengers, and they just never went back to it for whatever reason. Yeah, kind of. Especially because some of the side characters are so funny. Like, Korg is funny. Valkyrie has this, like, sassy attitude. Like, he, yeah. Yeah, not everyone has to be the funny person. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I like uh, Teko Watiti's sense of humor, but it it gets a little thin when, when mixed with the Marvel vibes. Whereas, like, obviously, what we do in the shadows is a masterpiece. Like, it's, you know. Yeah. I feel like he found a good balance with Thor Ragnarok, though. That movie's quite good, and it's tonally consistent. And there are funny bits, but there are also poignant bits. And this movie, it just it went too far into the funny. Mm-hmm. Like it missed, I, it somehow missed the point of what was good about Thor Ragnarok's use of humor. And thought that everybody just really liked Thor Ragnarok because there was funny bits in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not like Taika uh, Waititi's forgotten how to strike that balance. If you've seen uh, Our Flag Me- Means Death, which uh, is something that he's directed a few episodes for, like it strikes that balance of poignant and silly extremely well. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Jojo Rabbit. That there's yeah. <laughs> there's a balance of yeah. silly and poignant, like yeah. d- done really well. I, I, I yeah, but, I've never been like have my heart ripped out uh, so, uh, so much by a film, but also laugh my ass off so much as well. Yeah. yeah, I love Jojo Rabbit. Dan, who writes things, says, "Why has Disney spent years on de aging effects to do Gore the God Butcher and not have Thor team up with young Himbo Thor and old man King Thor?" Is this what you're referring to, Josh? That in the comics he gets a an old version and a new version? Yes, in the in the Gore storyline, that's that's what happens. But I actually I had thought about this sort of thing when I was writing up my fixes, and I actually would love to see them do something a little more out of the box, which is. Uh, the guy who plays Thor in the plays is the eldest Hemsworth brother. I forget his name. Um, and then Liam Hemsworth, the youngest Hemsworth brother, he auditioned for the role of Thor and didn't get it. So I think what you could have done if you did the three Thors storyline is you have Liam as young himbo Thor. You have Chris Hemsworth <laughs> as modern day Thor. And you have a unknown Hem- eldest Hemsworth brother as King <laughs> Thor. And I think you do that sort of thing instead of doing expensive digital effects and having Chris Hemsworth play three roles. Um, mm-hmm. I think you, you just spread it out over the Hemsworth brothers and have this fun little family adventure. Well, especially because uh, the little girl at the end, who's Gore's daughter is played by Chris Hemsworth's actual daughter. So you have a, a fun little family thing going on there. Yeah, oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah. 
Reshoot Movie Podcast says, Have Gore invade God World and start slaughtering gods to prevent Thor from getting help. Sets him up as a threat and adds more stakes to what is a pretty forgettable portion of the film. Yes to more God butchering? Mm-hmm. Yes. A definitely yes to more God butchering. Um, but Gore is trying to lure Thor out in that particular moment, not stop him. Mm-hmm. And I think Gore knows that he doesn't need to stop Thor from getting help from the gods because Gore knows in his heart of hearts, gods don't help people. So (laughs) Braden Young says, we never got to see the God butcher part of Gore. There should have been more scenes of him killing gods and establishing him as more of a threat, probably with him attacking the God world or something. (laughs) That's, that's, uh, that's what old reshoot said. Um, uh, as is, he wasn't established as a person to be feared. I think that that's, that's valid for sure. Yeah, we all we all kind of discussed how he needs to be made more of a boogeyman. I think we all agreed on that. Also, should have given Sif a bigger role. Her cameo was pointless based on the context of the story. She could have done so much more and even have been an unfortunate casualty of gore later in the story if she was part of the main group. Yes, but also no. <laughs> Give Sif a bigger role in the movie. Do not kill her off. You already did the Warriors 3 dirty. Amen. Harley says... This is a kid's movie. Maybe the first MCU movie that is actually appropriate for that demographic. There's scenes that reminded me of Jacob Tutu and the Hooded Fang, and I love that. I wish it was just a big-budget animated movie instead of the live-action, ugly CGI blend. It kind of is a kid's movie. When you really take into account like the kids having their own little adventure and then them all becoming little Thors at the end, it kind of is a kid's movie. But it doesn't go all the way there. And I'm fine if the MCU wants to do a kids movie. Go for it. Do it. Make a ki- make a a PG movie that is aimed directly at kids. Yeah. But then do that. Like don't don't have a person dying of cancer in the movie. <laughs> don't have a person whose daughter dies a tragic and meaning meaningless <laughs> death at the beginning of the movie. Like make it a kids movie then. I I This is part of this this ties back to it being totally inconsistent basically. Yes. I, I w- for for the kids movie, I would suggest Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which Disney just started a series on, and it is fantastic. So I think if they just took that writing team and made a, a kids movie uh, in live action with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, I think that'd be fantastic. I think that'd be great. Sure. All right. That's a great suggestion, actually. <laughs> Tack says, this is about Thor trying to find his authentic self behind the facade. Instead of Jane, Thor is foiled by Asgardian children who still see him as a heroic uh, caricature. And this guy foiled as in like the foil of the the the, the mirror yep. to which he is checked against. Uh, he wants to be that larger than life hero for them, both for his ego and because they're scared. Gore is invading their nightmares and tells them Thor can't won't save them. Gore rampages through the galaxy, but is stumped by Thor. So many still genuinely love him, and he appears to care and protect them. Gore wants to prove he is right. That maybe gets to some of the heart of what we were saying earlier of, like, Gore knows in his heart gods don't help people, and here's Thor being helpful as hell. I like that. That was my commentary on yeah, contact. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Thor's climatic breakthrough is allowing the kids to see him just as a person who also needs help from them. Dig it. I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, tax opinion here is very much jettison the Jane Foster story from this movie and just focus in on the gore stuff mm-hmm. uh, and keep Jane maybe for a separate movie all to herself, which fair, we we had discussed maybe trying to separate the two plots as well. I think yeah. they, they do dovetail together. It's just not done well in the film. 
yeah, I think there's room for both. It just needs to be handled better or there's two separate movies. And if they, yeah. And I mean, they like making movies, so maybe <laughs> they should have just been two movies. Yeah, you can uh, make you that know that if they, if, oh, sorry. Uh, I was going to say, you can make uh, the Jane tease for Thor 5 uh, a post-credits too. I mean, it would be a bit of a downer, but for people who know, it could also be like one of those weird, weird like, oh, but ooh, moments where <laughs> she's at like the doctor's or, office. And she gets uh, like bad news, and that's it. You use that post-credit scene to set up your next Marvel miniseries, and it's Jane Foster and Thor having a little rom-com for ten episodes. <laughs> <laughs> At Hugo Book Club, uh, friend of the show Olav uh, says, "Love and Thunder suffers from splitting the focus between the new Asgard story, the Mighty Thor story, and the Gore the God Butcher story. They try to meld together, and the pieces just don't fit. Focus more closely on one of those." Um, or focus more closely on making them fit together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think most MCU fans will probably have enjoyed the Gore of the God Butcher story most, though having Nick Fury gaining the knowledge of Uatu might not fit into the current <laughs> cinematic universe. Um, maybe Fury gains Odin's wisdom instead, uh, suggests Olaf. Uh, uh, Josh, is that in the comics where, like, at some point, um, Nick Fury gets Uatu's powers? Yeah, I forget the name of the the storyline, but basically Nick Fury kills the Watcher so that he or no, sorry. Yeah, he kills the Watcher because he wants to know everything. And it's a really weird storyline that ends with Nick Fury becoming the new Watcher on the moon. But he's also a prisoner. Mm. I started reading that because I the the weird eyeball guy, like who killed the Watcher. And there's like a yes. villain whose whole head is just an eyeball. Mm hmm. Yeah, I started that, didn't finish it. I'm not going to be mad you spoiled it for me. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> for, for those that want to know really quickly, the, the thing that Fury says to Thor is that Gore is right. And that makes Thor doubt himself or something, and that's what makes him unworthy. It's kind of mm. dumb. Uh, last little thought here from Olav. Definitely get rid of the City of Gods part of the movie. It adds literally nothing to the narrative. They gain nothing. They learn nothing. They don't develop characters. Their relationships aren't explored. It's a waste. It's I, only I a think- waste if you don't consider that the entire point of that entire set piece is to set up Hercules. Yeah. <laughs> and give him a lightning bolt. But, yeah, yeah, give him the lightning yeah. bolt. Because we need a MacGuffin, MacGuffin that doesn't really do anything. No. Yep. Nope. Not really. Could That could have been the key to... Yeah, no, I I agree that that adds nothing but Hercules. So, (laughs) so, Uh, well, yeah, that concludes uh, this episode of I Have Some Notes. Thank you so much, Josh, for uh, joining us. Thanks again so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Sorry for running long. I I know I tend to go on nerd tangents for for whatever reason. Play the the superhero ones. I don't think you're the one who talked too much. (laughs) (laughs) The superhero ones go long, and you you did the you know we know who the real culprit is. It's me. Uh, But yeah, anything you want to plug? Where can we find uh, the Talking Smack podcast? Uh, You can find the Talking Smack podcast at Talking Smack Pod. That's uh, Talking S-M-A-C, Superheroes, Movies, Animation, and Comics on Twitter. We're also on Hive, Post, Facebook. Uh, We have a YouTube channel that I I try to do gaming streams on, but those don't happen because I am a dad of three under the age of 10. And I work full time, so (laughs) uh, those don't happen too often. Um, But uh, if you like this sort of conversation and uh, just all other things. Like I, I occasionally will watch anime series with uh, Slade from the video game club and one of my co-hosts, Lewis. And uh, I, I'm not a big anime guy. So I, I, one of the more recent ones is I ran through the quote unquote 
waifu gauntlet where they had me watch three different uh what is it uh taste of life some something like that uh slice taste of, of life, life slice of, slice life, of life yes slice of life animes and uh i had to pick my favorite waifu <laughs> nice uh thank you very much yeah and uh, i do encourage folks to check out talking smack podcast greg and i had a lot of fun being on it i've enjoyed listening to some episodes recently uh definitely recommend um you can follow us at i have some notes on twitter at i have some notes pod on instagram facebook.com slash i have some notes and wherever it is you're listening to this please like and subscribe and review hey you know what all those little kids had a real kind of idea of what the 1500 year old thor was like in their heads there was definitely a bit of a generation gap there and you know what there's a podcast about that called bridging the gap where steph and karen talk to people from 7 to 97 and find out how we are the same and how we are different you can find them right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com well this movie could have been called jane dies at the end which is apropos because our next movie is john dies at the end so See you back here in two weeks for that. Uh, until then, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies for flying goats. Flying goats.